it's important as leaders, as business owners, as managers, we need to make sure that everyone in our team is being heard and respected. That's not negotiable. But as women, as whatever minority, whatever, if you're the only in the room, if you're willing to be that only, if you're willing to go into that industry, the last thing you want is to just look for reasons to blame others. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's episode is part one of an interview we did with Anissa Muthana, co-owner and president of Pioneer Service Incorporated, a Swiss shop in Addison, Illinois. Around 50% of Pioneer Service's workforce is made up of women. Anissa says the key to creating a successful workforce is to make everyone in the company feel valued and feel like they belong. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Anissa Muthana, co-owner and president of Pioneer Service Incorporated in Addison, Illinois. Welcome back to the show, Anissa. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this um, really great to have her. She is one of my favorite podcast interviews. I mean, I like them all, but just you're one of the smartest people I, I, I've met in this business, I have to say. Oh, thank you. So this is the show about the number one question in everybody's minds. So we need to talk to, um, I mean, I, I think you're doing well in this department, but we'll find out. This season is about finding people and uh, how to maintain the people once you find them. But first, before we go in anything, I just want to get a brief background on the company and uh, Two Minute Life Story. And then we'll go into the nitty gritty, just so people have a little context. Sure. So Pioneer Service has been established since 1990. I joined in 93 and Precision Machine Parts. So uh, we're a contract manufacturer of that. We mostly have Swiss machines. We have currently 25 and two turning centers and all brand new equipment transformed the company from old manufacturing to new modern high-tech in the last, I would say, seven years, and have been very successful. Uh, we sell parts to aerospace, uh, medical device, biotech, uh, electrical vehicles, electrical helicopters and trucks now, uh, which is really awesome. And part of that, obviously, would be Tesla. And uh, 
Nice. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing that. That was actually, we were uh, tier two since 2014, as soon as we were Swiss. And that has helped us grow our company and diversify as well. You know, we are AS9100, so we do sell parts for aerospace, but we also use that certification um, to give peace of mind to other industries. Because once you're AS9100, it's basically, that's that's the foot in the door uh, as far as qualifications, capabilities for most uh, companies. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that that one qualification, people would go, oh, well, if you can do that, you can do this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's helped us a lot. And I've actually mentored a lot of other co-owners, um, uh, owners of companies in manufacturing and recommended it, and they found the same thing. They're like, as soon as we got our AS9100 certification, we were able to win business that we weren't able to win before. So what business could you win that you didn't have before after you got... So, you know, you're like a medical device. There's also the medical industry that, you know, when you're doing parts for them, the IS13485, I believe. But we don't have that. But if you don't need that certification, a lot of the medical device companies don't require that. So if you have the AS9100, it eliminates them having to come and audit you many times. Um, and then if you're making their lives easier and filling out your the forms and they see that you have processes locked down, which you would have to have it if you are AS9100. 100, then that gives them the peace of mind. It's not just a certification. So this allows you to do medical work then, even though you don't have the medical certification. Yes. Is the aerospace one harder to get than the medical one? They're about the same. That's what I've heard. I think AS actually is a little bit harder. I was going to go for the 13485 this year, but because of COVID, we put it back. We put it on the back burner for next time. Interesting. All right. Well, that sounds like a whole nother show. Yeah, I got the best compliment from the auditor. He's like, if you were a public company, I would buy stocks. I was like, can I quote you? And he's like, absolutely. So I put it on LinkedIn like the very next day. I was so I was more excited about that than the certification. <laughs> That's an amazing compliment. Wow. Because he basically sees everything when he comes in. He audits every department, sees all our processes. So that if he and he was not like, you know, just he was a hardcore auditor. He's not just like anyone. So wow, it was it was very rewarding for me and my team. Wow. So give me the the Cliff Notes version. You grew up family business related industry. We we talked all about this in the last podcast. It's a wonderful story. We need just the the highlights. The highlights. I was eleven years old. That's DCFS was not called. Thankfully. Uh. <laughs> My dad got away with it. Um, <laughs> so my parents opened up a machine shop when I was 11 years old and I was on the shop floor cleaning out tanks. And if anybody out there knows about Sonos grinders and the tanks and the what's involved in cleaning that out, they'll appreciate what I did. And then when my dad came back from an auction, he had Sonos grinders and he had desks. And I got a desk to stand down and my brothers got Sonos grinders to, they were being trained how to run them, how to set it up, how to check the bars. And I just, I was so envious of it. And so when I was 13, my father allowed me to grind bars and I would not go back into the office. He would be like, go answer phones, go file, go type up this quote. I'm like, no, 
I want to feed bars. And I had actually two machines. I was feed, pull, feed, pull. But automation before automation was available. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, I wanted to prove everyone wrong. And and obviously sibling rivalry a little bit too. Um, but then I ended up going into the office and working and being in charge of not only sales, but the money part of the business until I was 23. And then I left my dad's company and went into partnership with my uncle who already had Pioneer Service in 1990. Uh, and initially, I just came to help out. And then he just kept, you know, enticing me being a partner. And, you know, the dynamics, the family dynamics have always been, you know, something that I'm sure everyone out there can relate to if they work in a family business. So I saw myself really not climbing the ladder at my dad's company and an opportunity to just, you know, prove myself at my uncle. And so my one and only condition was that you would be my silent partner and I would be completely responsible for everything. And my uncle was like a second father to me. We used to, I used to feed his bars at M&M where he worked as well. And he was like, where's the, like, where's my side? Like, what do I have to do to get that? I said, all you have to do is be my silent partner and I'll do all the work. And he's like, okay. And that was 1993. It's 2021 and it's still going great. Let me tell you. Wow. Very interesting. Well, great. So now we're going to get into what we're, what we're talking about this season, finding good people. My assumption, just talking to um, lots of our customers, I, I'm guessing you guys are crushing it right now. It's very busy. It's manufacturing's time. Finally. Um, I think COVID has proven that manufacturing can step up and can transition, uh, making parts for ventilators, obviously. Um, and not just me, obviously, like this was many shops converted their machines from parts for whatever industry they were serving to parts for ventilators. And we were actually making parts for biotech industry uh, for the scientists looking for the vaccine. So it was like, wow. Yes. So it was, it was, did that open up a whole new space for you? So we were making parts for the biotech industry prior to COVID. Uh, but when COVID hit, we were contacted by our top customers who were making ventilator parts. And, and these were like about five total customers. And we were asked to come down in pricing. So it was not nearly as lucrative, but I was grateful for being in that space it's something that you're going to look back at later and be like, you know, when COVID hit, we didn't close our doors. We didn't furlough our employees. And we were making parts for the biotech and medical industry. Like, that's a story I want to tell. And I... That is true. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm happy. Um, and it's, you know, obviously the aftermath um, is, you know, when it first hit, like when the governor came out and said, we're shutting down businesses. I, I was planning on abiding by that. And immediately I found out that we were actually shipping parts that day for ventilators that I didn't even know we were shipping parts for ventilators. We knew it was medical, but we didn't know what part of medical. And so uh, our customers were calling us and don't shut down, don't shut down. We need parts. And so I realized that probably about over 70% of my customers 
were like one in particular, the Tesla customer was closing shop. They were like, we're not taking any of our orders, any of our releases. It's going to be put on hold. It ended up being over six months for them and other customers very similar for industrial, like all different types of industries that we were serving. And so we, in the beginning, we were like, okay, even before the governor spoke, these states are shutting down and shutting down our orders. So it was kind of like, how are we going to you know, pay the bills? How are we going to pay everyone when all of these orders are on hold? So I made a decision. Even my management team was like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, I'm not furloughing anyone. We're not cutting overtime. We're continuing business as usual. We're going to make parts. We're going to lock down processes. We're going to write out work instructions. We're going to put parts into stock. When they're ready, we'll be ready. And so I was willing to do that because I didn't want to give even one more layer of instability to my team. And, you know, being, you know, a centerless grinder's daughter, you know, both my parents worked in machine shops for many years in my childhood. I didn't want to be that employer. So I, I, I made a conscious effort. And then the parts came back from biomedical and medical devices. And then PPP was available. So all of that together, I felt like, you know what, I made the right decision. And I'm reaping the benefits of that. Right, because you kept everybody. And so you have the people you need. And now the machining industry is just crazy, right? Yes, very crazy, but good crazy. Good crazy. Good crazy. So, okay, you know, some, uh, we talk to many people and they complain about, you know, government handout, people, uh, people don't want to work, et cetera. You know, that's not a problem for you anyways, because you already had the good people, I guess. Mm-mm. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's always a problem. I don't think any manufacturer will say otherwise. If they are, I don't know what they're doing. What's always a problem? People. People, finding good people, keeping good people. You have, we are in a very cutthroat business. I have competitors literally at my door waiting for me to blink and offering, you know, and sometimes, unfortunately, my employees are nearsighted. They forget what we just went through and what I just did for them. The training, you know, I had an engineer right out of college. I hired him as an intern. And after a few years, I, after training him, sending him to Texas for training at the ERP system, taking him to leadership training, taking, like, I could not have invested more in an employee. And I do this not just for him, but he was one of my, I would say, trophy employees because it was like literally no manufacturing experience. And, you know, disagreement here and there with one of the managers. And he just felt like, you know, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else just like that. And it was like, really? No, no, really? I was like, how? I couldn't believe it. But then I was at one of my, um, the colleagues, one of my actually competitors was talking it in this room. PMPA. PMPA. And um, I, but I don't want to say who it was, but anyway, he was complaining about an engineer and he was like, we have an engineer. Somebody in Chicago. No, I don't, don't narrow it down. Cause I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> I know I'm joking. Okay. He sent his engineer for training outside. And then the, the company that he sent his engineer for training for programming all right, how to run a, a, a how to program a, a, a CNC turning center. And like two weeks later, they called. They're like, when are you sending your engineer? The class is almost over. He's like, 
what are you talking about? He's on my payroll. He hasn't shown up. The engineer never showed up for the training. And when he told me that, I'm like, oh, I don't have it so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, this colleague of mine, and this is not like, you know, minimum wage. This is not like hard, you know, manufacturing. This is like engineering sitting behind a desk or, you know, working on, you know, I don't know, CAD, CAM all day long. It's not like, it's not obviously not easy work. It is difficult work, but it's not like hard labor. Um, so this is a career and what are, you, what are you doing? So when he told me that, then I'm, I'm like, man, my engineer wasn't so, that one engineer is not so bad. He at least gave notice and left on good terms. Um, but nonetheless, it just shows you like, uh, there's just be because it's so cutthroat, because the demand is so high, and because our wonderful government continues to give people more and more money, you know, staying home becomes a challenge. And, and not to say that some of those people that are home um, aren't deserving. There are obviously people that need to have that. Uh, but on the flip side, let's let's figure this out. Let's figure out something for, you know, the workforce issue that we're facing in America. Sure. And, you know, I noticed uh, a couple months ago, you sent us an email saying you were wondering if Graf Pinkert knew of any blue chips out there for, I don't know, was it setup person engineering or? Yeah, we're always looking for good people. So this is, is that something you normally do? You kind of just go to your network and try to? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one way you're finding people. LinkedIn is another way. And sometimes, honestly, people reach out to me, but their qualifications don't match what we're looking for or, you know, whatever, you know, other reasons there may be. There was I interviewed someone really good, but he had a chip on his shoulder and I just couldn't do it. And that's unfortunate. It's very common in our industry, you know, having a manager that bullies the employees. Um, If I allowed that to happen, I would be making a lot of money and having less headaches, but knowing the fact that's the short game, that's a short game. Exactly. Exactly. But that's the norm. That's becoming the norm. That has been the norm. We're trying to change that norm. We're trying to change it enough that people can recognize the fact that that's not what we're about. And that when you do work for us, you know, your voice is being heard. You, you do have a sense of belonging. You, no matter what, background you come from and so i mean i i will say like i called you guys i saw on the online you had a doosan for sale a used doosan and we were just like "Ooh, bingo this could be an interesting thing for us to buy and i called it turned out your price was like it's kind of like the price we might ask you know it was like a fair price but it wasn't it wasn't quite good enough for us to just like buy it for stock but anyways I talked to the woman answering the phone. I think she had been there just a very short time. And she was like, just ecstatic about working there. She was just like, love this place. I love every day. Like every day is like the greatest thing going to work. Did she, did she know about this interview coming? Like, was this like supposed to like... No, this was months ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wondering. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no conspiracy. I, I know who you're talking about because... She was she Polish, I think, maybe. Yeah, she's remember. Polish descent. Uh, she uh, her name is Karina, actually. So out, those that are looking to poach her, her name is Karina. She's the buyer slash planner. <laughs> and she's literally uh, one of my right hands. 
She's just a rock star. And, you know, it's uh, she gets acknowledged. She gets the pat on the back. She's rewarded financially. She's got her incentives and she's happy and she appreciates it. You know, she, you know, during the furlough. There's nothing more than that. You, you, I mean, there's. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. That's what you think. But then if somebody out there pays a dollar more, 50 cents more and they're jumping ship or, or is able to do something that I'm not able to do because now they're becoming so creative. It's like, what are they offering? You know, like even like overtime. So we give overtime. We give a minimum of 10 hours overtime for all our shop employees. Even during COVID, we did not cut that off. Minimum 10 hours. If you come in on Saturday, it'll be 15 hours. So that's great, right? And people are very grateful for it. But then it's like, okay, with the holiday, do you pay eight hours or do you pay, do you pay uh, the overtime by day or by week? And I know, I know that there's some people out there, but that was like the decision between working for me and not. And it's just like, I can't like, you know, I have to take a step back and I have to be okay with the decisions I make. And then that can, and then there's days that I take a step back and say, okay, let me reassess this. Let me figure out how I can be a better employer. But having that, making that decision on the spot and being the decision making, um, you know, and, and then, but looking at the history and saying, okay, well, this employer really does pay, you know, 10 hours overtime. Like talk to my people. And that's how I get employees is that I'm just telling you, I talked to this woman and it did not seem like she was happy because she was getting paid well or, you know, I mean, I feel like, yeah, sure. Everybody wants to be paid well. And if you're not paid well, that can make somebody unhappy. But to me, it sounded like there was maybe she was just extraordinary and she's one of your best people. But yeah, yeah. I have some people like that. I, I do have people. She just I, seemed, it seemed like it was more than just, oh, I make good money here and, you know, I like my boss. It was like, this place is amazing. Do you have. It is. It is amazing. Don't let, don't let me disagree with you. It is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to. My humility is coming. It's just shining out right now. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Let's back up to another thing you said in the last interview. Uh-oh, what did I say? We talked to so many people in this podcast and so few are women. Um, and that's partly, it's partly maybe because of, maybe because of me, I'm not like doing a good enough job of, of finding enough women. I'm just like trying to like get somebody half the time. That makes me feel special. Uh, <laughs> on the one hand and on the other hand, no. Um, <laughs> Well, no, if, if there's a woman and she has a pulse, wow, well, bingo. Someone with a pulse, as long as they can answer questions. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. So, well, before we go any further, I, I want to, I, I was wondering this, you know, I'm sure you get other people like me and they want to talk to you as a woman in, in machining, a woman um, owner of a company. Do you get tired of that? And you want it to just be like, look, I own a kick-ass machine shop and I happen to be a, a woman. I happen to be Muslim. Enough of that. Just, just talk to me about the nuts and bolts. So it depends, right? So I like to talk about the women aspect when empowering women, when, um, educating or inspiring, uh, leaders in the community, whether it be manufacturing or elsewhere, uh, in male dominated industries, right? So I like to talk to that because I feel like 
many people don't recognize the fact that the workforce that we need, if we don't get women into the workforce, if we don't inspire them, if we don't feel make them feel like they belong, then that workforce pool is this big. So there's a motive there as an employer, but then there's also you know, I feel like it's a responsibility to promote the industry, whether it be women or younger generation or people from the inner city that may have not considered manufacturing. So outreach is part of my core values at my company. And so that part of that is me speaking, you know, regularly outside my four walls and encouraging people to find that sense of belonging. And what do you do? What, for instance, what are you speak? in what venues are you? All different venues. I'm like, I'm considered a, a paid speaker now. It's my second career. I know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? Are you sure? And they're like, no, no, we want you. I'm like, okay, great. So now I've done it enough that I feel confident enough to do it over and over. And part of doing it, in the beginning, it was just giving back. It wasn't about me having it as a side job. It was just giving back. But then uh, I felt like, wow, I'm being offered this. And it's a double, you know. And so what are you saying when you... When I speak? Yeah. So I... I talk about my life. I talk about my story and I explain the fact that it is a male dominated industry. It's like, there's no like hiding that, but I hang with the guys and they're not monsters and we cannot portray them as villains and accept that, expect them to accept us. So it can't be a male bashing event either. And I know like many times they they do a double look like, is she for real? Because everybody wants to come in with their war stories that everybody wants to come in and say, oh, my God, this guy treated me so badly. Right. They want to make it adversarial. So and, and that's OK. Go get, you know, get through that. And nobody denies nobody denies anyone's pain. But everybody and their mothers have gone through pain. Everybody, even the white old male has gone through pain. So, you know, are we going to just be victims? Are we always going to be just blaming people for where we're at? Or are we just going to bulldoze through it and, you know, let the results speak for themselves? And so there are always going to be people that are haters and there are going to be people in the industry. It's going to be your employer at times. It's going to be your coworkers. It's going to be people in your family. You know, you're going to always have haters, but it's like really just like saying, okay, I got to find a plan B. This isn't working for me. This, this is a toxic environment. I know I have skills. I know I bring value. Let me go find a plan B. So it's on us to find a plan B, just like I left my dad's company when I was 23 years old. I was making six figures. There was no reason for me to leave. I was okay. Why would I want to go into a hellhole and figure out machining? And when I was making good money and sitting behind the desk and taking my kids home every day, like obviously I needed to find my plan B. And so do I blame my dad? Am I going to play the victim? No, I'm not. I'm just, you know, he has his limitations. And back then in the nineties, women in this industry, I had truck drivers whistling at me. I'm like, dude, I pay the bill. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So So yeah, but but that but but just to answer your question, it's important that we make everyone feel as if they belong. It's important as leaders, as business owners, as managers, we need to make sure that everyone in our team is being heard and respected. That's that's not negotiable. But as women, 
as whatever minority, whatever, if you're the only in the room, if you're willing to be that only, if you're willing to go into that industry, the last thing you want is to just look for reasons to blame others. And that's, that's my message. Yeah, sure. I can see why you would feel the purpose and motivation to, to do that. You know, even if she does uh, get pigeonholed and, oh, this is the chick. This is the chick who talks about women in manufacturing. <laughs> we don't call each other chicks, but yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it was it was for irony. That was my whole tone. It's okay. We won't hold it against you. At least I won't. I don't know about your audience. It's Spanish, chica. <laughs> On the next episode of Swarfcast. As long as it comes from the top is where I believe. Like if I'm out on the shop floor, I spend just as much time with someone that's been with me for less than a year than, than with someone that's been with me for over 20. And it's just like, if I'm, you know, like on a hot day, I have like water bottles, I'll pass out or I'll like, you know, just stand there and like, just randomly just go by someone and say, how you doing today? How was your weekend? How's your family? And like genuinely care about them and, and, and their lives. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Today's